Hello, friends. You are listening to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. I'm Amber Barrett, and today I am flying solo as the host of this podcast because my much-loved co-host, Vanessa Hawkins, has ditched me. Not really. She's on a plane on her way to St. Louis um, where she's going to work for a couple days intensive on her dissertation. It just makes me feel smart to say dissertation, much less write one. Anyway, her seat, sadly, at the table today is empty, but two other seats are happily occupied by ladies I'm very excited to have with us. Louise Coleman, who is the director of our children's ministry here at First Pres Augusta. Welcome, Louise. Thank you. And Kimberly Lahodney, who is a new member of our church, coming to us all the way from California mm-hmm. and several other places around right. the United States. Welcome, Kimberly. Thank you. You know, you're someone I've been wanting to get to know more ever since I heard you talk in Sunday school class with your husband. So, oh my, my. no pressure. Excited to be sitting at the table with you today. Uh, We're going to start our podcast with uh, the segment that we normally start with called First Things First. And I'm going to ask you a question about a first in your life. And then you're going to answer that question. But before you do, I want you to give a little personal introduction to yourself so our listeners can get to know you a little bit. Our question for today, first things first question, is what is the first app you check in the mornings? Louise, you want to start us off? I'll be glad to. Well, I have been married to Todd for 32 years. We are both from Memphis, and the Lord has blessed us with three sweet boys, Joshua, Jeremiah, and Joseph. And they are all out of the house, so I guess that makes us empty nesters. In regard to the first app I check in the morning, I would probably say the weather app. Um, I am definitely a weather buff. Um, I remember when I was young that my dad would regularly report to my sister and I what the weather was in many places around the world. Um, And then in my last semester of college, I needed another science class. And as I flipped through the catalog of classes, the description on the meteorology class sounded really interesting to me. So perhaps having taken that class and enjoyed it has helped uh, continue to fuel my interest in the weather. That's awesome. So do you check it for like around the world or you just check it for Augusta? Mainly just kind of like my places, Augusta, my boys are out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming or Darby, Montana or wherever they are. I'll check it there too. That's fun. Yeah. Get a feel for what they're feeling. Mm Mm-hmm. That's fun. What about you, Kimberly? Well, so a little brief introduction. Um, my name is Kimberly Lahodney, and my husband, Russell, and I moved here from California from the Sacramento area, but we had met down in L.A., and we have three little tiny people. Uh, we have a five-year-old, Evangeline, a three-year-old, Wesley, and an almost nine-year-old, nine-month-old, oh, yeah. not a nine-year-old, a nine-month-old Bradley. Um, so I have to say, this is an embarrassing question for me. <laughs> I, I want to have some really godly answer and your Bible app. You check your Bible. Oh yeah. No, I don't. I don't check my Bible app. Um, I used to be in radio news and unfortunately I have quite a few news apps on my phone and I'm actually currently before you ever ask this question, trying to figure out how to get the news apps off my phone. But that is the first app that I check in the morning. And I mainly check it, I think, just to make sure that everything is okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a dependency that I'm trying to wean myself from currently. So how many, if you're going to be totally honest, how many news apps do you check in the morning? So how many news apps did I have at one point? Sure, yeah, sure. That I had 15 news 15. apps. 15, wow. Yes. And I would had... you check them all? 
I did. But that was partially when I was working in news. Okay. Okay. Um, So now I have two. Okay. I've gotten it down to two. One a little more newsworthy and the other one a little more salacious, unfortunately. (laughs) But I'm trying to get all my ducks in a row because if the world is ending, somebody's going to report on it. Somebody's going to report on it. That's right. You will know when you wake up if the world is ending. That is a comfort. (laughs) Yes, but that's a prayer request. Please pray that I take the news apps off my phone. Oh, makes me laugh. All right. Well, I'm the same as you, Louise. I'm a weather app girl. Cool. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. Not because I'm interested in the science of weather, unfortunately, and not even really because I'm interested in weather around the world, but because I want to know if it's going to be raining and are we going to have soccer practice and yeah. is tennis going to be canceled and what will my I life have, look like this week? I totally week? get that. And, and so I, I like to know the weather because it really does determine what I do. On a daily basis, but I also like to know because I'm always longing for, well, right now I'm especially longing for those cool mornings. Mm. So I keep checking the temperatures where it dips down below 69 and so then I'm nice. just excited. Yes. yes. Very excited for the weather. I will say I do sort of wish that I could determine what the weather would be when I would want it to be what I want it to be. And of course I can't. But uh, what stuck out to me when I was thinking about this, uh, about the app that I like and about weather was the fact that in our passage for today, we're going to talk about the Lord of heaven and earth who has control over all the natural elements and uses them in wondrous ways to show who he is. And I've experienced that in nature. I don't know if you all have at times, but just what the Lord communicates about himself in a sunset or in a rain shower or in any of the several beautiful things that we see around us. So today he is going to display himself in a very wondrous way. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to just give a brief recap. Last week we were joined by Angela Watkins and Pam Willis, and they talked to us about Joshua chapter 2 and the majesty, might, and mercy of God that were so beautifully put on display in those verses. Mercy especially took center stage last week in our discussions, but now today it's the might and the majesty of God that come into full view as well. Uh, We're going to be talking today from Joshua chapters 3 and 4. And listeners, if you haven't read these two chapters yet, I encourage you to hit the pause button and read them now. I really do think you'll appreciate what we're talking about so much more if you do. Once you've read those two chapters, I'm willing to guess that what catches your attention is the wonder, the big wonder, that God performed the stopping up of the Jordan River so that its waters piled up and its riverbed became dry. And thousands of people crossed it on foot in the middle of what would have been flood-like conditions. Now, you probably noticed, you can't help but notice, of course, right, that wonder in those passages, but you may miss the reason for it or why the wonder performed was so utterly impossible. Uh, To understand what made the performing of this miracle so miraculous, you really have to understand what the condition of the Jordan River was like at the time that Israel crossed. So in his commentary on Joshua, Dale Ralph Davis, and we refer to his commentary a lot, by the way, so a little shout out uh, to Mr. Davis. He gives a great description of these conditions that the Jordan would have been in at this time, and he summarizes it by saying that in short, the river Israel faced that springtime wasn't a placid stream but a raging torrent. It was probably a mile wide, and it was covering a mass of tangled brush and jungle growth. 
I hadn't ever thought about that before when I had considered the Jordan River, that it was covering a mass of tangled brush and jungle overgrowth. You know, if you've ever tried to swim a mile, you know, it's, it's really a challenge, even for a well-conditioned individual. So add to that a raging current and jungle-like undergrowth that threatens to kind of reach up and bind your body and drag you under. And then add to that thousands and thousands of people of varying ages and health situations all trying to make their way across. And you really have a deadly, impossible situation. So then the question is, why does God choose to work with such conditions? Why wait? Why choose a time when the river is at flood stage? Why not pick a time when it's a little simpler to cross? Well, you know, you can't assume, of course, to know all the reasons, but I like how Davis reasons that perhaps God brings us into impossible circumstances, situations so bleak and hopeless for the very purpose of impressing on us that if we make it through, if we endure it, if we are not overwhelmed and washed away, it will only be because of his grace and power. You know, in the beginning of Joshua 3, Joshua himself says something similar. He tells the Israelites of God's incomprehensibly wonderful and terrifying plan to get them across the Jordan. And then he says that this wonder God will perform is intended to be a visible sign and experience of the reality that the living God, the Lord of heaven and earth, is in their midst and that he is committed to continually doing the impossible for them as they claim his promises in the promised land. So that's what the Lord intends to show us readers here as well. And Davis makes the point that, and we know this, that God's not in the habit of performing these sort of grand wonders every, you know, fifth Wednesday, but uh, he calls us to remember them and what they communicate about his consistent working with and for us. And we remember that so that we can recognize then the working of his everyday wonders in the impossible situations found in our individual lives. So ladies, I want to start off by, as you read this passage and you saw the wonder God performed there, how did you start thinking then about wonders that God's recently displayed, the ways he just He has recently displayed his power in your own lives? Well, this was an interesting question because I had to pause for a moment in our craziness that is three very small children mm-hmm. and try to think back on what God has been doing And I had to go back a year because really the way that the Lord brought us into Augusta was very miraculous. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had several years before put a word out that um, I'm from the East Coast and Russell was open to a job on the East Coast. And everything around how God has moved my husband and I, um, first from the L.A. area up to Sacramento and then all the way across Mm -hmm. Uh, has very much been in God's timing. And it almost looks like it's not going to happen every time, Mm. which I find very interesting in light of this passage. You know, when he went and took the job up in Sacramento, somebody had been chosen before him. And we knew he was supposed to have that job somehow. Like deep in our heart, we were like, this is the job he's supposed to take. And someone else got it. And within a month and a half, the head of that organization called and said, you know what? We actually want you. And we made that move right before we got married. So I, I actually went back to the DC area, prepared for our wedding. He went up there and started the job. And then I met him uh, and we moved right after we got married. This time the word was out and quite a few people were doing some sleuthing for Russ. 
and the job in Columbia County came up and a whole bunch of people advocated for Russell to, to go after this job. And when he was interviewing, he was asked some very tough questions. And I was listening at the door because it was all on Zoom. <laughs> and I commented later, I said, why, why did you seem so calm? And he said, in this situation, I really have nothing to lose. If God wants us there, he's going to get us there. So we saw a real open door by God alone. And though there was fear in moving our whole family in the middle of COVID Mm. to Augusta, it really, every step we took, God met us. Um, There was some opposition. God met us. There were some things that happened at the very end that looked very terrifying Mm. and God pulled us right through and it was really very miraculous. Mm. It really is for him to not only ordain the circumstances, but also then communicate with you through prayers. It's not an exactly writing it in the sky, Columbia County, Augusta, Georgia, but along the way to have those small assurances that come in such a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the Lord to be that specific, that evident, that guiding, it really is a, a wonder. It is. Yeah. I think anytime something goes right in a Christian's life, I know that sounds really funny, but when you do put your trust in the Lord and it proves faithful, he proves himself faithful. It's always an incredible reassurance that yes, there are going to be hard things, but if you can see God's promises ahead of you, you can walk into those promises. Trusting that how it's going to come to fruition is, is very much in his hands. Yep. Very much. And not even necessarily just circumstantially, but spiritually, you know, what he's promised us spiritually and how that works itself out in the various circumstances of life. There's always confidence in that. Um, yeah. Thank you, Kimberly. What do you think, Louise? Well, Todd's and my boys are in the 20 to 30 year old age bracket. We attended a funeral on Saturday for a 29-year-old. It was the sixth child in this age bracket in our little community here in Augusta that we have lost or at least uh, been separated from temporarily. Mm. The funeral was hard and painful um, and beautiful. The pastor faithfully presented the gospel but honestly shared that he could offer no words of comfort. That could only come from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And he did bring comfort from the Lord simply by reading God's word over us. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer in whom I take refuge. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. This funeral on Saturday was the second child this family has lost. Mm. And for us as believers to truly experience comfort from the Lord when it does feel like the mountains are falling into the sea, to me is a powerful display Mm -hmm. of God's love and mercy and compassion towards us. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely impossible to draw that comfort from any other place, is it? It's not. Yeah. It's not there. Mm -mm. No. Mm. Well, Louise, I'm not trying to copy your answers today, but that was mine too in a, in a different way. Just uh, this past weekend had a day that I woke up Sunday, really, and just was so blah. I thought, Lord, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do the things that are in front of me. I have no, what I would call emotional joy or energy or all those sorts of things. And, and so what it's like to just be like, Lord, I've got, I'm feeling empty. 
and you know, you don't always give yourself permission to feel that blah, you know, or that down without thinking, okay, well, I got to try to think happy thoughts, think faithful thoughts, think whatever, but just to go to the Lord and be like, I don't have anything, but I do believe that you can comfort me. Even when I sort of partially believe you're not very comforting, you know, and to, and to just ask and not try to drum it up. And by the end of Sunday to be look, to look back and think, oh, the Lord did this, he did this, he did this. And he really did provide comfort that I, I really could not drum up. And so whether it's just our own personal lives or a really just the most devastating circumstance you can imagine thinking about losing two children in that way and to think that the Lord can provide comfort is, is miraculous. It really is wonderful. Um, you know, it, What's so important, I think, in seeing the wonders of the Lord is really seeing them for what they really are and not seeing them, but then sort of thinking, well, maybe, like Kimberly, you know, maybe it wasn't really the Lord guiding us. Maybe it just was happenstance. Maybe it just happened to be. Or I could think, well, maybe Sunday, you know, my hormones just shifted around Sunday afternoon. I started to feel better. Or, you know, maybe at that funeral, it was just because they were surrounded by so many loved ones and it was just a moment of feeling good or whatever. You really have to see the wonder for what it is, that something that only God can perform and remember it is just that and prepare yourself to see the wonders that way. And they really lead to worship. You know, when in Joshua, before they go over, before they cross the Jordan, the Lord tells Joshua to give the nation two commands and the first one is to consecrate themselves before they see this wonder performed. He tells them what's going to happen. But he says, consecrate yourselves, which means prepare yourselves. And oftentimes, consecration meant a cleansing of yourself, a humbling of yourself, a readying of yourself for obedience to see and to obey. So they consecrated themselves. And then he said, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented was the very symbol of God's living presence among them. It's going to go out before you, but you've got to keep a distance of 2,000 cubits away from it. And oftentimes when we think about keeping a distance from the Ark of the Covenant, you think of that story, and I think it's 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, where they're carrying it, and it tips, and he the, the fellow goes to ride it, and he dies because he's come in contact with the holiness of God, and that's a very that God's very protective of his holiness. So you could look at that and think you're supposed to stand back because it's the holiness of God. But Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary said that's not how the commentary reads here. It's more of a stand back. 2,000 cubits is about half a mile, a little over half a mile. Stand back so that you can see which way you're supposed to go. And otherwise, get a really good view of what's going on here in the Jordan and know how you're supposed to cross. And what would they have seen? They would have seen the priests representing the caring of the presence of the Lord standing on dry ground to make a way for them. If you lose sight of that, you know, they could have thought, I don't know what happened with that river. It's just somehow we just caught it at a good time and happened to walk over it and isn't that great or whatever. And they would have missed... Wait, when we read that thing, oh, you can't miss that. But you could. You could miss that. If you didn't know what you were looking for, you didn't expect it, and you weren't standing in such a way that you can see it. And I think about corporate worship, because what it happens to us when we see the wonders of God, then it moves us to worship him. And the ways that we often can see wonders of God together is to come to corporate worship. And I think about what it's like to prepare ourselves 
to come to worship to say, I'm ready to see the wonders of God. I'm ready to see them for what they really are. And I'm ready to worship him and walk in them uh, in the ways that he's commanded uh, me to do. So for y'all, this was a convicting question for me, by the way. I started thinking, wow, my question is going to be, how do you prepare yourself uh, for corporate worship? Or how do you help prepare your children for corporate worship? And unfortunately, the answer to me is very sporadically, infrequently, um, but not to be discouraged in that, but just to think, all right, how can we prepare ourselves? I'd love to hear from y'all how you do that or don't do that. Well, really fast, I wanted to say something about God pausing them for three days because mm. that's really that was really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, it's not the first time in Scripture that it happens. Um, when Nehemiah goes to inspect the wall, he actually stays in town for three days before he even goes and looks at the wall. Mm. I think there's something very interesting about God giving us like separation and time. Mm. And when I think about young moms, I think about we barely have any time, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you're talking about preparing your kids. But there's some weird things that can happen during three days of preparation. <laughs> Not only are they consecrating themselves and getting themselves ready, but there is, there's opportunity for doubt to arise. Mm. There's opportunity yeah. for we're here and we're looking at this raging river and seeing the impossibility. Mm. And I feel like there's almost an intentionality of the Lord to say, after all these years of promises, these promises that God has been given for generations to your people, mm -hmm. I'm about to answer it. So look at it. Mm. Look at it for three whole days. Do you believe that I'm going to do it? And I think that's very powerful. When I think about my own kids, we are at a season. I can't say I do it every day or every Sunday, but we are purposely having little conversations about church. Mm. Um, usually the night before, usually it's like we always take a shower <laughs> the night before church so that we go clean. That's a, that's a big one. Thank you. Okay, clean. Yeah. But we also, my kids are just beginning to ask those questions. Well, why do we do this? Why do we do this every Sunday? And because I was, I was brought up in an Orthodox Jewish home mm. and I became a believer. I love church. I get very excited about going where people are all talking about Jesus as savior at the same time. Mm. I mean, to me, even if I'm having a really terrible week, God is with us always. I tell this to my kids all the time. God is with you every day, but he is especially with his people on Sunday mm -hmm. in a very awesome way. Mm -hmm. And he does things amongst his people that he doesn't always do when we're separated. Mm -hmm. And I've said it a couple of times. So I'm not saying that I do this all the time, but I definitely talk about it enough that they have some excitement that something happens at church yeah. that doesn't happen anywhere else. Yeah. And I think it's because I, I really have a very strange love of corporate worship. I, I mean, don't think it's strange. I well, strange. I just, I remember being a kid and not going to church and not going to synagogue, like on days that we didn't go where the people of God were. And I would feel, I would long to see people responding to God because to me, it's in, it's a miracle mm. to see a bunch of people get together in one place and say, he is king. Mm. 
And it still rocks my world every time. Mm. So I know that sounds really, I was very excited to answer this question because I, I think about this a lot and I have seen, I've seen churches go through really tough things and people stop coming to worship because they've been hurt by humans um, within the context of church Mm. and your God, your God's bigger than that. Mm. And he, he doesn't care about the drama. He wants you Mm. in front of him with everyone. Mm. So I don't know. It doesn't limit the possibilities of the wonders that he has for you in that time with him for Uh, sure. Absolutely. It feels sometimes like a raging, mucky, muddy river. Yes. Um, Yeah. Well, what I love is, there's sincerity. I know you would say it's strange, but it's sincere. You know, the Lord has done that work in your heart that there's a sincere excitement and you're telling your kids, this is what you can expect. I know it. I want you to know it so that I love that. So when they go, they're thinking, Hmm, I'm going to see something exciting. I'm going to experience something exciting. And as a parent, what better way uh, to prepare your church, your children for a Sunday? Louise, uh, would you answer it? You can answer for yourself, but then would you also answer it as to how the children's ministry here at First Pres helps families in that type of preparation? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that, Kimberly. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I'm going to answer this in the, in the family mode yeah. um, first versus my work role here. But um, so we like to begin the evening before um, just trying to do things that set us up for a good start to Sunday. Um, Todd and I just kind of made it a habit early in our marriage of really trying not to do things on Saturday nights. Mm. Uh, we probably begin after dinner preparing for the next day, setting out clothes, because if you can't find the one shoe, you know, the next morning you might be 15 minutes late. Um, so we try to make sure things are in the car that we want to take, get to bed on time so that we're rested and refreshed. Um we found it helpful to try to leave a little bit earlier to, to go to church than we might need to um, just because the enemy is at work. We yeah. know that um, if something can go wrong, it's going to. So we just try to go ahead and plan for that. And then if we end up arriving early, um, you know, you might be able to help out in some unexpected way at church. Um, I think it also helps to prepare my heart for worship uh, to try and be seated five or more minutes early and just ask God to help me be still before him. And pray for his spirit to fall freshly upon me and those that will be leading the service. All right, so I'll take this opportunity to plug the parents resource page on our church's website. From the home page, um, go to the Grow tab, choose Children, and then Current Resources. One of the books that's listed there is Parenting in the Pews, which has some helpful ideas in it. Um, But another way I think that we help prepare our kids is called Teach Me to Worship. It was written by Sue Jakes, and our own Beth Cave has worked to customize it for our congregation. When our pre-K and kindergartners exit the services in the morning, Beth has trained a wonderful team of teachers that help our kids to understand the hows and whys of what God calls us to in his word and how he wants us to worship him. We spend one month on each of the elements of worship, and some of those include the call to worship, confession of faith, confession of sin, um, hearing the word, the sacraments, tithes and offerings. Um, And the great thing is that our kids are in the service to experience these things as they're learning about them, and then they get that twice in a row because we do it the pre-K year and then again the kindergarten year. Oh, man, I really love that because it allows the kiddos to know this is why you do this thing. It's not just this thing that you always do on Sunday morning, and I don't know why, and I just do it, and I say it, but to learn it that young and then to continue participating in it, I love that y'all help to provide that. 
And and I saw Kimberly looking at you and just wonder when you were describing your morning and arriving early and sitting still. And we all acknowledge that different seasons oh, of life exactly. call oh, for yeah. different modes of you know of preparation. And sometimes Absolutely. it's all you can do to come clean. It just and come. Sometimes, just come. Yeah, it's all you can do to come. Yeah. That's right. Yes. There That's was right. a dream season when I used to come to church early and get to sit there and be quiet before the Lord. <laughs> That is no longer my season, but it will be again. It will. It, it will be, be again. again. It will. Yeah. And sometimes that parenting in the pew and you were <laughs> talking about that book, does, does it involve pinching? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But just in different ways, the Lord will show himself to us when we come wanting to see, you know, exactly. in, in whatever ways we can. You know, the wonders that we do come together uh, in worship to see that God performs their infinite but they're also particular and they're specific and they all spring from the most wondrous work of all, which is the saving work of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And we're meant to pass those wonders down to our children, biological or the children in the church family as well. How do y'all, um, we looked at a passage in Kathleen Nielsen's Bible study. Some of the ladies who are doing that study looked at a passage, second Timothy one, one through 14 And it talks about the wonders of God to us through Christ. And then it also talks about an example of how those wonders were passed down from one generation to another. Uh, Louise, what are some of your favorite ways, and then Kimberly, you're going to answer for yourself, but Louise, some of your favorite ways that the children's ministry passes on the wonders of God to our FPC kiddos? Sure. Um, I think one of the ways is that, like was said in the book, that we try to hold fast the pattern of sound teaching. We try and teach our, train our teachers to keep the gospel central Sunday by Sunday um, in every lesson that we present. Our curriculum is called Show Me Jesus, and even the title is a reminder to our teachers that the wonders that God performs throughout Scripture from Noah to the prodigal son mm. points us to Jesus and the wondrously amazing things that he has done for us. We also encourage our teachers to communicate the miracle of God's work in their own lives, um, weaving that into their teaching week by week. Mm. I love that. How you don't often think necessarily in children's ministry when you're teaching them about Noah. Not everybody knows how to make the connection uh, that that how that's pointing to the saving work of Christ. You might just land with, well, Noah was he listened to God and he obeyed God and he was saved from the flood. So let's all be like Noah. But to have curriculum that says, how do you see the wonders that God's performed here? What's He showing us about what He intends to do through Christ and what was Noah's responsive role in that? It's such a difference, exactly. and I love that y'all take yeah. the time to differentiate between. And I think it things. ministers to both our kids and those teaching as yeah, well. Absolutely, to be reminded of those truths. Yes, to go back to those quote unquote children's stories, which are adult stories, obviously, and to be reminded of that. That's great, Kimberly. What do you think? Well, this is this is another question that I was excited to answer, um, and I think you know earlier I mentioned that I I came from a Jewish background. And a, a believing Jewish background and got introduced to Jesus through my mom's family. And m- my own personal journey has been Jesus unveiling himself in the Old Testament. Mm. And so there are lots of times when I'm reading with my kids or we take a moment and we look at things. And I, I know this is a an interesting privilege coming from a Jewish background that maybe some Christians might not feel like they can do, but truly you're engrafted in so you can. Mm -hmm. But there are moments because I know my lineage that I can say, 
this was our family. Hmm. Like this is this, the blood that is in you. were in these people that were being rescued from Egypt. Hmm. And then they were given the promise of Jerusalem. But now we're being told in Hebrews 12, at the end of Hebrews 12, that we're going to have a new Jerusalem and that you've not come to a mountain that cannot be touched, but you've come to this holy mountain and it's all real. And it excites me to tell my kids that because that's how it was for me when I first encountered the Lord, that it was all really real and that he he's going to bring us into the full promises that he has made. And do we actually live like that every day? And are we excited about that every day? You know, when I look at, we just went through the story of Noah, uh, actually two nights ago. And my five-year-old was asking me some tough questions. She wanted to know what happened to the Egyptians. She wanted to know why God needed to rescue. And if God was ever going to, I mean, luckily the Lord tells us, I will never flood the earth again. But she was like, that's very scary, mom. Hmm. Like, did everybody, did everybody die? I mean, she went there and it was really a tough moment because how do you tell five-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, God was displeased, but he also had a huge plan and that plan was going to bring us all the way to our salvation. Hmm. Um, so it's really it is in these sweet moments that seem terrifying, I think, as a parent, that you can be really real. And I don't know if that answers the question, but another thing that we do that I'm, I'm sure not a lot of uh, First Pres parents do because they don't come from a Jewish background, but we do celebrate key Jewish holidays and we put Jesus in the context of them. Mm-hmm. And we're we're trying to give our kids a full sense that those unbelievable miracles like Passover is a celebration of the Exodus. And then when you see that everything on the table points to the lamb shank in the middle, which is Jesus, our ultimate sacrifice, it's powerful because my Jewish relatives are still waiting for the Messiah and they don't believe it's Jesus. But it was and is, and he is king forever. And that's exciting to me. So I know that's a little bit crazy. Uh, I mean, it's not crazy, but it's it's what I think I have to do so that my kids know there's a legacy. But I want every child of faith to know that that's their legacy. Mm. Like, it's not just a Jewish legacy. It's It's what we all have gotten. Yeah. And we're going to walk into that new Jerusalem and every knee will bow. And it will really happen. And do we live like that? Mm. I love hearing that from you. Just the encouragement that that is to me to hear and see what it's like for you to make those connections from that Jewish background and to see how they point to Christ and all that that offers with the depth of, of what you're talking about, your lineage, your heritage, the understanding of the Old Testament. And then to be able to see, to understand that deeply means that your understanding of Jesus is deep and to make those kind of connections for your children I think what you're saying is some of the ways you pass on the wonders of the Lord is to understand them deeply yourself and to go there, like you said, with your kiddos, with deep questions, challenging questions, hard questions, um, exploring those things. And what both you and Louise are saying is at the end of the day, do we take our children to Jesus? That is the wonder of wonders. You know, if we, if we don't get there, then we've stopped short. And I think that's the encouragement that we have in passing on those wonders is keep your eyes fixed 
on the real wonder. Remember it, dive into it, explore it, see it, pass it on, communicate it. And I'm sure this has been quoted in this podcast before because people love C.S. Lewis, and I'm probably going to mess up this quote. But when they when the kids ask about Aslan, and they said, "He is is he safe?" Right. And they said, "No, he's not safe, but he is good." Mm-hmm. And I I hope that's I hope I'm quoting it correctly. But right now the world is really confusing, and there are things that don't make sense, and there's some darkness. And our kids see it. And if we aren't real about who the God of the Bible and our our Savior Jesus really is, then we are handicapping them because his grace is powerful, his mercy is powerful because because there is there is darkness mm-hmm. and he is the light. Mm-hmm. And he's not safe, but he is good. Mm. Oh, amen. I was thinking uh, there's a quote at the in Dale Ralph Davis's book that I wanted to end with because it describes so perfectly the assurances that we can expect from the wonders that God performs. And if in relationship to the Israelites, the logic is something like this, you know, if God can tame a raging river, then he can also repel the attack of your enemies. If he can stop up the Jordan, he can put down those who oppose you. If he can get you into the land then he can surely give you the land. That's the logic of that wonder performed in that place. And then for us today, the assurances of Romans 8.32. If God didn't hold back, but gave us his own son, if he went that far, can we not then rest assured that he will grant all other provisions required for our full salvation? And then he says, the explosion of power seen in the death and resurrection of Christ is meant to color the whole horizon of our lives in order to assure us that the God who so mightily handles great emergencies is surely adequate for the smaller crises and anxieties that beset us. I just thought that was so encouraging. You know, with with that note of encouragement, then we hope you will join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you take an hour to eat lunch or while you sit in car line. Next week, we're going to be deviating briefly from Joshua and talking with a special guest, Sue Harris, who is the women's director at Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Sue's going to be joining us to talk about the importance of women serving in partnership with church leaders in order to shepherd well. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees It is the Lord who rises With healing in His wings When comforts are declining He grants the soul again A season of pure shining To cheer it after